Welcome to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Jeremy Waysom. Dr. Kyla McMullen. And our regular contributor from NC Wit, Dr. Jeffrey Ann Wilder. Hey, hey. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. Kyla and I are from the Institute for African American Mentoring in Computing Sciences, or IAMCS. IMCS serves as a national resource for computing students, faculty, and industry professionals. We're funded by the National Science Foundation. Our goals are to increase the number of African Americans receiving doctoral degrees in the computing sciences, to promote and engage students in teaching and training opportunities, and to add more diverse researchers into the advanced technology workforce. This podcast is funded by the National Center for Women in Information Technology, NCWIT is a nonprofit that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the participation of all women in the field of computing. And today we have Dr. Stacy LeSure that's here with us. We're so excited about that. So Stacy's here with Engineers for Equity. So Stacy, tell us tell us some about you. Well, hello, ladies. It's, um, I'm excited to be here. Um, just a little bit about me. So I consider myself an engineer turned social scientist. Um, <laughs> I'm educated as an engineer, but based on some of my own experiences in the field, which I hope we can get into some of that a little bit today, I decided it was um, necessary for me to try to help understand uh, some of the issues that I was going through and how to strive and survive in the uh, field. And so I started to study some of the psycho, 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 psychosociological issues that black women are faced in uh, uh, computer science and engineering. So now that's what I do. I really study what can we do to help uh, black women persist in these fields. So that's all from your experience just being an engineering student. Yes, that's what ignited the interest to go this route, for sure. Okay, yeah. What engineering were you? Material science and engineering. I actually cool. got my uh, bachelor's degree in physics from Spelman College. Wow. And then I went on to Georgia Tech to get my graduate degrees in material science and engineering. That's awesome. Yes. Wow. We know some wow. of those people. Yeah, <laughs> we really do. <laughs> material scientists. So, Stacey, like... I know there's lots of research around like computer science education, but like, why do we need to like specifically focus on black women? Why is that important? You know, that's a really good question. I'm going I'm to rephrase it and I'm going to answer it at the same time. But why shouldn't we care? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the there's an argument that many people are currently accepting that, you know, diversity makes better teams and more creative. And we understand those things and most people will accept that. But what we're finding is black women are persisting in these fields, but at what cost? Mm. And so what we're finding is that women are experiencing a lot of trauma in order to survive in these environments. And so we want to figure out how do we eliminate that and why should they have to go through some of the challenges that they're going through. So we want to expand um, the number of women in these fields just because maybe this is something that they really want to do, but do they have to do it and suffer at the same time? And that's what we're finding. So again, of course, the argument is diversity and inclusion, you know, broadens, makes um, creativity, increases innovation and uh, creativity, but also look at what impact does some of the environments that these women are in, what impact is it having over there on the, in their, you know, as far as their overall well-being? So before we get more deep into that subject, I really want to know more about who you are and how you ultimately ended up in engineering and then researching engineers. So yeah. did you, 
what kind of community did you come from? Yes. What type of high school experience did you have? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, you know, that's really great. So my sixth grade teacher told me I should be an engineer. <laughs> um, and I had no idea at the time what engineering was, but she told me, you know, you, you know, there's not enough women in engineering, even back in the, in the 80s, early, early 80s. And she said, you know, you're really good in math. You pay attention to detail. You're a hardworking student. You should consider engineering. So from that point, that was the career path I chose. So I make sure I took all of the math that was required and all the summer programs and things like that to get me interested in to keep me interested in engineering. And so I did that. So I went to Spelman. I, well, originally I started out as an engineering school in Michigan. It was mm. at the time it was General Motors Institute, uh, and I was there for two, uh, a semester and a half. And I felt so out of place because mm -hmm. there were not, uh, I can remember, I can count on my hand how many women, how many black women were at this school. So I didn't feel comfortable there. And I can remember seeing Dr. Janetta Cole mm -hmm. on television. She was a president of Spelman at the time. And I said, I have to go there. And so I took <laughs> yes. a semester off and I did everything I could to apply to Spelman. And at the time, uh, and even now, Spelman doesn't have an engineering program, but they had a dual degree program. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Spelman, studied physics. And actually, when I first applied to Spelman, they turned me down. Hmm. Wow. And oh, so wow. I, um, I wanted to know why. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went, and they told me that it was because I was at an engineering school, and Spelman was a liberal, liberal arts college that I would have to make up so many classes. Mm -hmm. And they didn't think that I would want to do that. It would add an extra year to my, my degree program. And I explained to them, I'm totally fine. This is really what I want to do. So they changed their mind. I was accepted to Spelman. And so I did that, and I was planning to go on to Georgia Tech to do the dual degree mm -hmm. uh, to you know, BS in physics and the BS in electrical engineering, but I took a tour of Georgia Tech, and they told me, you can get a master's degree in the same amount of time it would mm -hmm. take to get the second bachelor's. And that's how I ended up in material science and engineering. But it all started, and that's why it's so important to uh, have these conversations as young as elementary school, because it really started with an elementary school teacher telling me, uh, this is what I should do. I'm the first of my family to go to college. I uh, lived in an environment where uh, going to college was not necessarily emphasized and mm -hmm. so to have a teacher put that you know put that spark in me at a young age was really really important yeah. that's phenomenal yeah. yeah that's been a common theme like having that instrumental person who at a young age tells you like this is what you should do you know engineering computing this is for you exactly like one of the things we've been talking about at NC Wit is about encouragement I mean I think we've been talking about that as a big theme around how we rally just everyday people, right? Not necessarily people who have engineering degrees, although that's great. Um, how important it is to encourage someone. Yes. Hey, you can yeah. do it. That goes so, that's such, goes such a long way. Exactly. So, so Stacy, I just wanted to kind of go back to the first college that you went to. Can you talk more about what that experience was like? And Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So let, let me back up just a little bit. So I was on mm -hmm. my way to Purdue University. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. I had done a couple of summer programs at Purdue when I was in high school, so I had already accepted. You know, my roommate situation was taken care of and everything. Uh, GMI came to my high school, um, and the counselor, guidance counselor, called me. I guess they you know, must have mentioned that they were looking to diversify their program. And so my guidance counselor called me to an office and I met the representative from GMI. Mm -hmm. and, and what drew me to it at the time, it was a co-op school. So you would work 12 weeks and then you went to school 12 weeks. Did they pay you yes. for the co-op? Yes, they paid very well. <laughs> so I work for free. Right. right. And so right out of high school, you know, I was making an adult salary, like really, uh, wow. right at 18 years old. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I worked for a division of General Motors in Indianapolis. 
And I did that for the summer, then I went to school. So I do 12 weeks here and 12 weeks, um, 12 weeks in school and 12 weeks back at home working. And I really enjoyed the hands-on learning, uh, but I learned right away that I was going to be treated differently. You know, right mm -hmm. away, um, comments about the way I dressed or the way my hair was or because I've always loved clothes. And that's a, that's a <laughs> thing that, um, you know, I hear when I talk to women in engineering, they say things like, well, you know, I, I can't really be me. I can't really bring my true identity to the table. So anyway, as a high school student, right out of high school working at General Motors, I seemed I was treated differently. Uh, but, I, you know, I continued to thrive because I enjoyed what I was doing. And at General Motors Institute, GMI, uh, I think maybe I would say the numbers are probably a little bit off, but my freshman class may have had 75 students, uh, maybe five female, Ooh. and three of us were black. Whoa. And um, it was intense. It was strictly, you know, engineering courses. Um, and I just remember just just the social isolation. And the three of us who, yeah. who were black females, of course, who were the best of friends because that's all we had. But even comments, I can remember um, my uh, engineering graphics course. You know, we didn't have AutoCAD back then. We had to actually draw, <laughs> draw and drafting. And I, he used to call me Tracy. And he uh, said, because you trace everything. Uh -uh. Because what? it was done so well. He made the <laughs> assumption that I was tracing. Wow. Uh, wow. So he would call me Tracy. Uh, I can remember my Fortran teacher, dating myself again. <laughs> <laughs> my Fortran teacher, my, my father passed when I was in the second semester of my freshman year. And I said, I got to go home, you know. Mm -hmm. He actually he gave me a D in that class because it was an exam. And he That's would not crazy. allow me to make up the exam. So I was having experiences after wow. experiences oh, like yeah. that. Teachers, I mean, I can mm. remember my chemistry teachers just basically saying, you don't belong here. Mm. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing yeah. is, too, Flint, Michigan is, like, one of the blackest cities. Like, <laughs> yes. How? Yes, but not within the walls of General Motors wow. Institute. I mean, I had classmates that had literally never been around black people. Wow. Uh, and so it was just depressing. I just remember being so depressed and, like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I can't. I can remember vividly the, uh, you know, the maybe 15 black students, if you look at all, you know, across the uh, classes, we would meet in the student lounge mm -hmm. every Thursday to watch a different world in the Cosby <laughs> show. That's how we stay sane. Uh, but I just knew that yeah. I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. I guess I had to get out of here. So I seen Jan Dr. Cole on something. I can't remember the, the programming. And I'm like, that's where I need to be, where I'm, I am validated as a black woman. So mm -hmm. Jenna Nicole was the first black female president of Spelman. Yes. Right. So you go to Spelman and it's like, a literal different world, a complete 180, right? 100, yes, 100%. I can remember just feeling so, just validated as a woman mm -hmm. and feeling so yeah. proud of being who I was as a black woman uh, and just embracing that. And, and even though I had professors who were different nationalities, the majority of my science and engineering professors were um, black female. Love wow. it. And That's to wonderful. have, yes, it was, uh, I mean, it's un it was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, I really believed there was nothing I could not do. And you were constantly being uh, affirmed mm -hmm. that this is what you can do. Excuses were not an option. Uh, so I had a wonderful experience. But, yes, it started out pretty bad, but I was determined that I wanted to be an engineer, and I wasn't going to let that experience stop me. And once I got to Spelman, I'm around all these other wonderful, you know, black women with, with these uh, goals. That from, and, and Spelman was an interesting experience as well because you have – that was my first time seeing black women, black people, uh, the full spectrum of blackness, mm -hmm. right? And so actually seeing black, you know, black families that vacation in Paris mm -hmm. and you know things like that was my first experience at that so that was a wonderful experience for sure. I'm sure that really informed 
who you are today. 100%. And I'm so glad that you persisted and made it through because that's not always our story. Exactly. Exactly. But you persevered and, and made your own way. Yeah, and that's the that's the message too. Sometimes the path may change, uh-huh. right? There's no one path to get to uh, becoming a computer scientist or or an engineer. And sometimes we get stuck thinking that I have to do it this way. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to create a different path for yourself. So, you work at a company called Engineers for Equity. What exactly do you do to promote equity within engineering? Yeah, so that's actually an organization that I started. Uh, because I've seen the need to really address some of the issues. Again, you know, I, I have so many stories I can share of my uh, trauma <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to pursue this mm-hmm. uh, this path. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, uh, for example, it took two attempts to get a PhD. Mm-hmm. My first yeah. attempt, uh, I was in the fifth year, which I was very close to finishing for those of us uh, who are pursuing PhDs, and I quit. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I was doing well. I had probably a 3.8 grade point average. Mm-hmm. I had passed my proposals, my, my uh, preliminary examination. I had done everything except written my dissertation. Wow. And the depression was so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day so well. And when I decided to quit, no one asked why. Mm-hmm. No one. Like never. Never. No one. Yeah, it was never a conversation. Like, why would you do this? Um, and so, um, yeah, but so that was my That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hold on a second. Sit right there for a yeah. second. I need to, yeah, exist in this space. Yeah. Not a single human being at your institution said, Stacy, are you okay? Not a one. Mm. This was Georgia Tech. No, I'm not going to name the school. It wasn't Georgia oh, Tech. I'm going to protect the school. I'm okay. not going to get any tea. And I have even some deeper <laughs> tea. Oh, so uh, there were there was one black female in the College of Engineering, and I went to her probably a week before I made the decision to quit, and I I told her this is what I'm going through, and she says, "So what you want me to do?" Mm-hmm. What? Where are my pearls? <laughs> so you know, I just felt like there was no hope, and I and I had wow. a wonderful. But this is the thing: I had a, a couple of advi- uh, advisors. My first one was excellent. It, it was a, a uh, he was from Germany. He was a, a world-renowned world-renowned chemist, and he re- he was so impressed with me that he went and said, "I got to get another female. I got to get another student from Spelman." Mm. And so he went back to Spelman to recruit a year after he recruited me, and then he he decided, you know, for health reasons or whatever, he was going to retire early. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Stacy, since you are, you further ahead, you're a little more." independent I'm gonna have you work with this other person you can handle them so to speak because he knew how things were he assumed that I could handle the situation but it was it was terrible I was the only only female the only African-American uh in electronic material science that was wow. just yeah it was just not many of us and the day-to-day um torture I would call it it just hit me one day I just I, I literally couldn't even get out of bed to continue to pursue that program and so mm-hmm. it's something that I, uh, you know, it haunted me for 10 years before I decided to go back and finish. But yes. Wow. Yeah. I can fully identify with that feeling. I used to refer to, like, the building where my lab was as, like, just trauma, like the trauma center. I'm not going to go back into this toxic environment today. Stay home, do my work from home or not. And there was a point where I literally got to where I was saying, you got out of bed today. Yes. That's a win. Congratulations. Congratulations. Or you took a shower today. Yes. That's a win. So I I fully identify with that because I was there too. 
Yeah, so that's where engineer, Engineers from Equity was born. I wanted to not let that be other women's story. Mm. So what can I do from a research perspective? Because a lot of times, particularly once you get to the PhD level, people only respond to what does the research say, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's yes. what this company is really centered on, gathering research to show these are some experiences and what can we do to help those who are in those experiences so they can persist. Can I take a moment to shout out a wonderful book that I'm reading right now? Yeah. I had to pull it up on my phone because it, fits so nicely with this conversation. So um, one of the co-editors is uh, was my um, dissertation chair, Stephanie Y. Evans, who is now at Clark Atlanta University. She used to be here at the University of Florida. She and two other women, Nzinga Burton and Linda Goler Blount, edited a book called Black Women's Mental Health, Balancing Strength and Vulnerability. And the reason why I love this book so much is because they talk about how important it is for black women within the academy to have, um, you know, all the various things that we navigate, right? Mm -hmm. This black tax, this race tax, this gender tax, this mm -hmm. disciplinary tax right. that you're in, being an only, not having mentors, all of these different things, how we manage all of these things in spite of, right? And so you're doing all this, right? We're talking about on another episode about having our edges laid and right. looking perfect <laughs> and having our hair together and our makeup right. done and um, all of those things, you know, being all this black, girl magic that we can but really kind of talking about the importance of maintaining our inner yes. self maintaining our practicing self-care getting access to mental health resources mm -hmm. um right because mm -hmm. you know just because we're magic doesn't mean that we aren't real and that right. we can break yes right we've all had experiences <laughs> with that and i think that's such a that's so important for us to talk about it is um yeah. because we deal with this um controlling image of being so strong yes. that we, we can do it all, that we have it all, that we have it all together, but we don't. Exactly. And that's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. okay. So go get that book. It's a fantastic book, and I, it's one of the things I'm reading right now, which I absolutely love. Excellent. So. But just to piggyback off of that, just because we're magic doesn't mean we aren't real. I told Ky Kyla, one of my self-care uh, tactics is to write poetry. I have a poem with that title. Really? Yes. Yep. Can we hear it? I, you know, I wish I knew maybe it by heart, and maybe I find it if, okay. I can, if I have it saved. But it is, it's, it is. It's what, yeah, just because we're magic doesn't mean. Because we are magical. Yes, we are. Yes. And we need to embrace that. Yes. Yeah. My new favorite quote is from Kendrick Lamar. Love it. Is, um, yeah. What Love is, it. I want to say it right. Um, basically, I'm not going to fake humble just because you're insecure. Mm. Ooh. Now, he's, he's, yeah. that's, that's, that's a, a few word. more words yeah. in there, but, yeah. but basically it says, I'm not going to fake being humble just because oh my you're gosh. insecure. And yeah. I think that too often we, we fake humble because people around us are insecure wow. of our black magic. Wow. Yeah. That needs to be the title of this episode. <laughs> right. I'm not going to fake humble. Can't fake it. Love it. Yeah. Let's see. I'm looking it up so we can get the actual quote. Okay. Stacy, you can say the quote. Excuse some of the language, but it basically says, I can't fake humble just be, just cause your ass is insecure. <laughs> yes. I can't fake humble yeah. just cause your ass is insecure. Yes. And that's that's really real. It is. Yeah. Also, we have loyalty in our DNA. We have royalty and loyalty. <laughs> royalty that's and it. loyalty. Thank you. Yes. That's <laughs> right. right. <laughs> All of that. Yeah. So this is a good segue into your work because you've literally been doing work in this area for probably a decade at least. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the Naila Project is a investigation of the experiences of Black women who are pursuing either their doctoral degree or postdoctoral uh, 
positions in engineering and computer science. And I know that a lot of your work involves narratives. Yes. And of what you've been, what you've given us today, but more. So you've actually gone around the country and collected narratives from people and are doing a study on that work. So let's talk about that. Yes, let me just start off uh, just explaining the name Naila. Naila is actually a Swahili name that means she who perseveres. Mm -hmm. And so this study, which is a National Science Foundation study, and I'm co collaborating with the University of California, Irvine, Dr. Sharnia Artis, oh, as well as uh, yeah, Heidelberg, Heidelberg University, we have Dr. Marjorie Shavers. So the three of us, we wrote a proposal to the National Science Foundation, and it was funded, thank goodness. And thank so goodness. we are we're interviewing black women all over the country <laughs> oh, wow. uh, who are pursuing PhDs in computer science and engineering. Uh, or, or, or they're either postdocs in one of those uh, fields. So I just want to pause for a minute because I'm a postdoc and I feel very strongly that people should know who I am. <laughs> and by me, I mean like what a postdoc actually yes. is. So you want to talk about that? Sure. So postdocs are, you know, once you have completed your Ph.D., a route you can take is to get more training, is to go on and continue to work. Basically, you know, we can think of it almost as an apprentice, right? Mm -hmm. Apprenticeship. Right. Uh, you get more training in the field so that you become more of an, of an expert, so to speak. So you can work in industry as a postdoc. Yeah. You can work at national labs, at universities. Uh, Jeremy happens to be at a university. But, you know, the, the experiences can be very similar to the Ph.D. program itself because you're still in environments where you're underrepresented. Uh, you're still in environments where your um, your intellect can be challenged, particularly in these mm -hmm. fields. Yeah. And so what we're finding is that uh, from our study that these women are describing their experiences are pretty much the same from high school through mm -hmm. their postdoc. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what is really interesting is that just because you get more qualified or more what have you, uh, people are still challenging you. So that's what we're finding. But, yes, that's, that's what a postdoc is, is after you get your Ph.D., and done everything it has taken to get a PhD and continue to be uh, uh, more training, you're, you're still challenged in what's your intellect or what do you actually know. I think it's yeah. important to talk about what a postdoc is only because most people have no idea right. that yeah. it's a thing. Most people, when, they, when I tell them I work at the university, they say, oh, are you a professor? Technically, no, I'm not a professor, <laughs> but I do conduct research. And then their next question is, do you teach any classes? Some postdocs do, some postdocs don't. It just depends on who you're working for. And I'm sure that in some of the discussions you've had, you've heard from people who are literally not able to conduct their research, yes. which is pretty much the primary focus of a postdoc because they're doing all these other activities mm -hmm. that don't really help them achieve the training that they're they're seeking in that role so anyways i just wanted to interject <laughs> yeah yeah because i'm a little triggered sometimes yes <laughs> all the time for me oh all the time yeah there's always triggers like like what oh man we don't even have a whole we don't have time for that. <laughs> we don't have time on this we don't have episode time for that. Just All right, saying. we'll have a. <laughs> and those triggers happen everywhere, from your everywhere. Uber driver to shopping and you know. Well, now that she mentioned it, oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, getting in an Uber is the bane of my existence because you know, well-meaning Uber drivers always want to ask you about yourself, what you do, but whenever 
it comes up that I'm a computer scientist. It's like they assume the least amount of education. Like I had one say, oh, you're a computer science professor, so you can teach with a bachelor's? I'm like, no, they're, they're not letting people teach with bachelor's. <laughs> like, where they oh, do so that can, Right. So, oh, you can teach with a master's? You can t- people ask me if I know how to code. I'm like, I got a whole PhD in computer science. In yes. computer science. I'm going to yes. say, no, I just moved a mouse around. And right. Make you colors. really should start making up weird stories about how you ended up with a PhD in computer science right. that had nothing to do with coding, right. nothing to do with computers at all. Right. It was like, a two for one special at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> I just gave that you one bought up. it off the shelf. Oh, right. Anyway, but sorry that that's one of my triggers when people ask me what I do. I know they're well meaning, but then the questions that follow that just display their own like their own beliefs about what a computer scientist looks like and what I look like and how those are two completely different uh-huh. things. Which is why the podcast exists, Hello. ladies and yes. gentlemen. And that's what we're finding <laughs> from our study. You know, um, a common theme, there's there's many that we're finding, but uh, one of the common themes is this whole idea around this identity, what it means to be black and female in these disciplines, computer science and engineering. And we've had, uh, I had several women who, it's funny how the conversation around hair comes up, right? <laughs> Only for black women does this have to, is this a conversation when we're talking about you get, you know, you're pursuing a PhD in computer science and we have to have a, a hair conversation. Because there's these conversations about what if I show up with, a, you know, so much attention is focused on my hair that we're not even focused on the research. I, I heard that research. side, yes. Jeffrey Ann. I heard that oh deep side. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've been triggered now. <laughs> got a story to tell. For me. I got like 14 years worth of stories. I am twitching right now just thinking about, um, I recall being in my doctoral program and um, a, a close friend of mine asked me um, what I was getting ready to go on the job market. And I was starting to interview. We were talking about like what I was going to wear and, my friend asked me about, I think I had braids or something in my hair, and he asked me if I was going to take my braids out for the interview. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he's like, well, I, I mean, that's not going to be very professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's 2018 <laughs> now. This was 2007. Wow. So we really have come a long way in the, mm-hmm. in that respect, just over a short period of time. But, I mean, I didn't feel comfortable to even wear braids or anything mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. until... Um, when I got in my faculty position, I didn't do it. I only did did those hairstyles in the summertime mm. because I didn't want to be unprofessional in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. And then it took me about five years before I was like, "F it, I'ma just wear my hair the way I want to wear it." Right. And um, when I started doing that and kind of feeling more comfortable about who I am, I would get so many comments from my faculty colleagues. I remember going into a faculty meeting one day, and one of my um, uh, one of my faculty colleagues, when I sat down next to her, she said, you changed your hair again. Uh, and it wasn't what? a compliment. It was mm. like, y- you changed your hair again? Like, you keep changing your hair. Yes. And I couldn't understand why this was such a big deal. I mean, we were at a faculty meeting, like, what does my hairstyle have yes. to do with your comfort level? Yes. Right. Well, you know, we all look alike, so sometimes they identify us by their hair. I was the only <laughs> one in my department, so, so okay. there was no mistaking mm-hmm. Jeffrey Ann, right? Uh, Dr. Wilder, right? There was right. no mistaking that. But just the um, how mm-hmm. it made people feel uncomfortable and the yes. sort of what that insinuates, yeah. right? That it's always a negative connotation. And why can't I express who I am? Why do I have to water down all of this magical unicornness is, right? right? To make someone else feel comfortable. Yes. You don't. You don't. 
And that's interesting because that's one of the findings that we're, we're, we're see is coming out from a lot of these women is that we're talking about persistence again because yes. Naila is she who persists. And what we're mm -hmm. finding is that they say, I finally can do this thing because I'm going to do me. Yeah. And if it means cutting my hair, putting a weave in tomorrow, braiding it the next yeah. day, I'm going to do that yeah. because this is just who I am. And, and so how do we start at a young, at, you know, making it okay for these young people to know that who you are is okay. Yeah. And it's not my job to make other people comfortable. That's right. And I think the more we're able to embrace that and, and, and not utilize our cognitive resources on trying to make them understand why my hair is this way, um, mm -hmm. you know, get it comfortable in your own skin and, yeah. and be that. Well, I think that's interesting because when I also think about some of my male colleagues, right, yeah. who literally would come to work in um, Not you know, beach shorts. appropriate anything. attire. Right. Flip-flops, <laughs> you know, no shade. But, you know, kind of juxtapose that and yes. me always having to feel like I have to be dressed to the nines, exactly. literally, right? And then there are other folks who just kind of, like, look like they about to go to the beach after work. Right. Um and there's never a comment toward them, right? Yeah. These, I mean, these are all, of course, yeah. microaggressions. No, very for, much so. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I wore jeans to teach for the first time last week just because I wasn't feeling well. Mm. And the world did not explode. Like, <laughs> right? I was I was comfortable. I'm like, why am I putting this pressure on it's myself? It's too much pressure. Yeah. It's too much pressure on top of everything else. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what have you seen based off of, like, maybe the anecdotal evidence that you have about persistence and black women that may be unique to us you know that's interesting let me see yeah. i have this transcript this you know actual recording and i want to just maybe read some of that and i'm sorry but i'm at the age now where i have to do that <laughs> but i try to get cute ones you know she put on you know, her glasses y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and Fancy. so um let's see here so this is one where, because it's really important, I think, when we talk about women, that we really touch on this um, intersectionality piece, mm -hmm. because we women are not in one category. And so as a black woman, we have what, you know, um, was it uh, W.E.D. Du Bois, yes. the double consciousness, right? right? So this double consciousness of having to figure out, you know, who I am. Uh, trying to deal both as, you know, as an American, as a black person, mm -hmm. right? So now you add the black female part to that. And so a lot of women, a lot of women talked about having to deal with this, this double consciousness. Um, but for example, this young lady who was a PhD um, in, in computer science, she's pursuing her PhD in computer science, she alluded to the fact that she had attended an event um, and she was, for the university she was attending, and she met the first um, black female to earn her PhD from that university. And that woman mm -hmm. had just earned her PhD in 2016. And she mm -hmm. thought to herself, wow, you know, it's 2016 and they're still first. Mm -hmm. And so she said she went to the diversity, the Center for Diversity and Inclusion on campus, and she wanted to look up data for black women in computer science. And so she asked the director, you know, what data do you have on black women in computer science at this university? And the director said, none. We don't have any. And she said, well, do you know if there have been any other black women to pursue their Ph.D. or earn a Ph.D. here? And they had no idea. But <laughs> she she went on to do her research and found out she was indeed the first. She would be the first to, to earn a Ph.D. from this university. And she said, you know, just as a, a direct quote from her, she, she goes on to say, she says, wow, why am I the only person who knows this? Why is this? Why is it that a school that has a Center for Diversity and, Incl and Inclusion that is supposed to help in increase diversity at this school is not making these things known. So if it's not being known that we still are struggling with the first on campus, that's a problem. And this mm -hmm. is the, some of the things that black women are dealing with. 
She also talked about this same young lady, and this is, this is, this is a common theme, and this is the reason why I, I chose this particular quote as an example. She talked about this, there's this cross that I must carry, mm-hmm. and it's so heavy. She mm-hmm. said, you know, if I leave, these are things she struggled with. What about the girl that comes after me? Mm-hmm. If I leave, will I prove some people right? Unfortunately, I don't believe they're right, but they would think that they were by mm-hmm. saying she didn't belong here. She wasn't wow. good enough. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. on top of all of this, uh, you know, everyone who knows who's been through a Ph.D. program knows how strenuous it is, how taxing it can be on you. But if now you're wondering what if what happens to those behind me? So you're carrying right. this this really uh, heavy burden. And then she goes on to say that uh, she also has this issue that when she goes back home, that she is the first in her community to earn a Ph.D. or mm-hmm. to go on to graduate school. And right. so she says, you know, her friends will say things like, oh, Naila, I use Naila as a, uh, what's the word? I'm pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Oh, Naila, you're going to be a doc. Um, and when I tell them about my struggles, they'll say, oh, you're going to ACE. It's going to be fine. You know, you're so <laughs> smart. No, it's not so hard, right? They just don't get it, yeah. right? And so she says she has to not be able, she can't express even going back home. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. she said there's, there's this pain because, Will it be worth it in the end mm-hmm. is what she asked herself. I think that that's been the theme of my entire life experience as a black woman. I'm doing this for something bigger than myself, but right mm-hmm. now it sucks. And that's, and that's how a lot of them felt. They talked about this heavy burden of not only am I dealing with the academic um, burden, um, the challenges, but I'm also thinking I can't let people down. Mm. Yeah. Not even yourself, but it's other people, right? Can I insert something here as a sociologist? Is the first thing that yes. came to my mind. So I immediately started thinking about the high rates of maternal mortality for black women, right? This has nothing to do with computer science, but follow me. Mm-hmm. So black <laughs> women, we know, are dying at much, much higher rates within one year of giving birth compared to other women in the United States. And yep. America's rates of maternal mortality are it's already horrible. really, really high it's, it's right. getting for, worse. you know, uh, first world countries, right? <laughs> but the numbers, as we sort of, as we disaggregate the numbers for black women are just ridiculously high. It made me think about, as you were reading her experience, that black women probably suffer really, really high rates of academic mortality, mm. right? That we, we deal with that's and good, suffer. Jeffrey. I'm a sociologist. Yeah, that's I good. Academic yeah. mortality. I'm a theorist. I'm yeah. just saying. So I'm, I'm, yeah. This is we're gonna have to write yeah. a paper now. Yeah. I'm writing that down. I think so. Somebody, right. somebody we write the write paper. Academic mortality. And we gonna we gonna write a conceptual yes. piece because I love doing that. Right. Yeah. We suffer from really high rates of academic mortality. Right. Yes. And everything that we we're talking about are really just interventions. Right. To de- decrease the high numbers of black women literally dying from yeah. being in the academy, whether that's um, the, obviously not a physical death, but, I mean, I literally died. I left my job, right? I had to or I felt like it was going to kill me, Yes, right? Mm-hmm. We're still existing in these spaces and we're dying on the inside. Exactly. Right? And right? even to delve into that deeper, like with uh, black women with uh, maternity mortality, a lot of times, you know, there's people who don't think, like there was a study that, uh, some physicians even believe that black people don't feel pain as much yes. as other people, just not even being heard by your doctor. If you flip that over to computer science, you know, feeling like you don't have a voice in your program, you're crying out, you know, this isn't right, this is wrong, and having, you know, your feelings just 
being completely disregarded. Yes. Like I think there's lots of parallels here. Yes, we yeah, deal with we goes, have a high tolerance for pain. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yes. I think that goes yeah. for all disciplines, not yes. just computer oh, science. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the experiences of Black women in, in academia in general really reflect this notion of like our death. That's why we have to take care of ourselves because if we don't, no one's going to care if we die. Yeah, and that's right. why I said that, the, you know, the first question was about why should we care? And I said, even though they're persisting, at what cost? Right. right? Yeah. So one of the things that I've started telling people is that I finished my PhD and persisted through my program because I'm stubborn. And I'm <laughs> sure that you have several people who said the same thing to you. But I wanted to know what what are the results showing of the study of the Naila project? You know that that's true. We have had several women who have said something very similar that they're stubborn, they going and they're determined to finish what they started. Uh, that they want to prove people wrong. They want to prove those who doubt them wrong. That comes up a lot as well. Mm -hmm. The other one is just really doing it for the culture. <laughs> you know, I'm doing it because I want young black girls who look like me to see that they can do this. Amen. And, I, and so that's really a common one that they're doing it. And they don't want to let people down. I can't right. let my mother down. Mm -hmm. I can't let my community down. They're, they're betting on me to, to finish this. They're depending on me to finish this. So those are some of the common reasons. And, and then, of course, some of it is this is what I want to do. I love this. And I'm not going to let what other people think of me determine, you know, what I can and cannot do. So those are the main reasons we see uh, that they are persisting. Yeah. Why are they making that decision? Even personally, like that is like exactly my story. Because when I found out I was going to be the first, I was like, oh, I have to finish now. Mm -hmm. Like, because their email said, if she finishes, I was like, no, 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 we're going to change that to when. when? Exactly. Because I am going to finish. Number one, I'm also stubborn. Uh, <laughs> like Jeremy, my trainer said, I have a rebellious spirit. So uh, if you tell me to do something, you I'm going to. You that says that. Oh, yeah. And I told him I didn't have a rebellious spirit. So clearly, you know, it didn't. Didn't resonate. It did really not in resonate. The moment. But, you know, I had a moment later on. And I was like, you know what? Telling right. me to do something is ensuring that I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. So, but all that to say, like, you have to have a healthy level of, I call it, don't give a damn, where someone's going to say something to you and you're going to say, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do this because I'm resolute in this. And the same thing about just wanting to show, I was like, there's nothing special about me. Like, I can get through this program. Let me be a proof of concept yes. that we can do this. And I think <laughs> for me, like, that rebellious spirit started way younger. Oh, yeah. This was not a, oh, I'm in college and I'm just, I'm developing this person. <laughs> this, this wherewithal to resist and persist. Uh, yes, resist and persist. Girl, yes. Girl, that's write that of, down. That's part of um, the scholarship on black women's experiences, yes. right? Mm -hmm. This notion of resilience, yes. right? How we persist in spite of all of these various obstacles. I mean, I think that's something that's been part of, I think, black women's DNA, at least in the United States. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, of course, across the diaspora mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. But when you think about the experiences of black women in the United States, I mean, really, resilience is at the core of that narrative. That's our story, yeah, right? When you think about our cultural story, that's what that reflects, resilience. So it's no surprise that we manage to do things that people don't expect that to expect us to do anyway yeah 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 absolutely but that's a you know it reminds me of the book that you mentioned early on about um balancing the strength and vulnerability yes. right so we have that but we have to keep in mind the vulnerable aspects of what we put ourselves what what harm are we putting ourselves in uh with this constant need to prove people wrong yes. and this you know what is it doing to yes. us yeah and sometimes it's okay to just rest yes right take <laughs> yes. a pause take a break yeah. And you don't necessarily have to prove everyone right all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's yeah. it's hard. 
It's almost like you feel guilty for turning off. Yes. Yeah. I remember just being, you know, running on all cylinders for my PhD and then afterwards just feeling guilty for just watching TV or just yes. like mm-hmm. sitting down That was writing my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to do this, so I'm going <laughs> to watch these cartoons right now. But it's not for me, it's not even enjoyable cuz the thing in the back of your head the whole time is like, "Oh, I need to be writing this chapter. Oh, I need to be doing something." That's a else. message for all y'all out there listening. Yeah. Do your work. <laughs> But I also, and then rest when it, yes. when you get opportunities to rest. Rest, take a nap. But I also felt so disillusioned once I got tenure at the myth of being able to take that rest once mm. you got tenure because I felt like when I got tenure, it's like the the pedal went even more to the metal. Like oh, wow. it just kept going faster, 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 faster. Which is why I'm in this situation right now, working yeah. for NCWIT, which is a great great opportunity and a great position. But I do think that there is something to be said about. I mean, we talk a lot about the experiences of, of doctoral students and perse- persevering and continuing on through the degree. But particularly if you're in a faculty position or a postdoc position or any of those things, there's still so much. That call of duty mm-hmm. gets louder and louder and louder, right? Right. Um, and there are a lot of things that, you know, that need to be part of the conversation that include ways in which faculty, female faculty of color can sort of navigate and have that work-life balance as they try to continue on to tenure and then also beyond. Yeah, there's an awesome book Carrie Ann Rockmore has called The Black Academic's Guide to mm. Winning Tenure Without Losing Your Soul. And I feel like that is a Bible, just even if you're not yes. trying to get tenure, like just life in general and how much, as you said, that there is such a stress to do all these service obligations, to do all of the things and be yes. this mythical creature that yes. gets no rest and no yes. breaks. Well, yes. um, I... Forced my university. Forced. That's a that's a very strong word. Persuaded. Highly suggested <laughs> to my university that all new faculty members have that book yeah. coming in. It was my Bible in the oh. fall of 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah. It literally saved me, right? We talked about academic mortality, right? Because mm-hmm. our lives are always on the line in, in a sort of proverbial yeah. Well, literally, they try to make way. you feel like it is. Yeah, they do. Then again, I'm a rebel, so I'm just like, oh, you said I have to do that? No, I don't. I'm a t- <laughs> But yeah, but I love the way that like the book just puts all of this into perspective to make it not seem as though, oh, if you don't get tenure, your life's going to end. Or, oh, if you don't do exactly this, then your life's going to end. It's like, all right, this is a crazy experience. Mm-hmm. Let me normalize the crazy so you can still have a life and not lose your soul, like the title says. Well, for continuing to shout out people, I love Carrie Ann Rockmore because oh, yeah. she's a mm-hmm. sociologist and she did the damn thing like I did. She yeah, left her right. tenured position to establish... Um, the National Center, National Center for Faculty Development and Diversity. Yes. Yeah. And it is an amazing organization that supports all faculty. I think it started off just supporting faculty of color, but now it supports all faculty yep. um, sort of hitting at various points of their career. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't shout her out. Yeah, I did her woman. boot camp, and it was amazing. Fantastic. So just lots right. of good resources. Yeah. So nice. we also wanted to talk about self-care. Mm. Yes. Definitely, because just the fact that we have this internal just stress with our jobs, stress with our lives, like what kind of tolls are these taking? Like these the stress from our jobs and just being a black woman and existing in this space that otherwise would not have you. Like what kind of things does this do to our bodies? Yeah, and we found that as well in our study. A lot of the participants talked about how they they're seeing their mental health was being compromised. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the strategies is that a lot of them, they utilize mental health counseling. Uh, some even mentioned having severe anxiety that mm-hmm. was brought on by uh, the constant 
trying to um, code switch. You know, one day I'm this person, tomorrow I'm another person. You know, this code switching is this, this idea that you have to basically change who you are in order to, yes. to fit in into certain environments. And they talk, you know, we had several of them. We had quite a few talked about talk about the mental health piece. And I think that's so important for us to bring uh, attention to that because mm-hmm. it's real. Uh, and so I think we need to do more about, now I'm the queen of self-care. Anybody who knows me <laughs> knows it's a full-time job for me. Um, and I think it's, it has to be for some of us. And we, 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 we need to do it without feeling guilty. Uh, and that's one of the things that I think even as an undergraduate, we miss that. We think I just have to study all the time. I have to constantly be at my best. And, and we sacrifice our health. Um, so that's an important point to, to keep in mind. And I will say it's, it's not a unique thing to black women no. to struggle with mental health. And across the country right now, it is an epidemic yeah. with on college campuses. Yeah. So, you know, as we transition from high school to college, there are a lot of things that you didn't have to manage, yeah. right? Yeah. Like when you lived with your parents or parent and they provided you support, you know, they made the decisions about food and right. you didn't have to wash your clothes. Maybe if you had parents who would do that for you or yeah. clean up everything in the house, take out the trash. Like you have to do all these life requirements to be a functional adult suddenly. And then in addition to that, your coursework is more difficult. Yeah. You're having to manage your finances. It's, they're just a lot of things that we didn't have to do. And then once you get into graduate school, now you're really an adult. Right. Right. And we were chatting about this earlier too, like how even another layer of this is that social media wasn't as prevalent. Right. And then people are putting forth this perfect image, this image of perfection. And if you're not this, you are not hashtag goals. So it puts (laughs) all this undue pressure and stress on people that was not there previously. That now you're striving towards something that you didn't even know existed, you know, four or five years ago. And then if you're in graduate school and you have friends who went to work in industry, especially in like engineering or computing, it's real hard yeah. because I'm sitting in this lab making not nearly as much as I could be. And they taking <laughs> pictures on boats. So. Right. <laughs> they, they're not boats, yachts. Right. You know, Sorry, they're going yachts. on this European <laughs> vacation and they've traveled from this country to that country to that country. And, ooh, yeah. they just bought a house and they got children and mm-hmm. their lives are progressing. And I'm just like, well, you know. <laughs> I'm in school. I'm, I'm going to get a degree. Right. <laughs> I'm going to get this yeah. piece of paper. One day I'm going to go on that European vacation, you know, and it's just, it it makes it even more difficult. Yeah. So, And that's interesting. Just two quick follow-ups to that. Number one, you're right. This is not unique to African-American women in particular, but what is our challenge is we don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? So we Ooh. say we're going to pray about yep. it. Yep. And mm-hmm. I told, if someone else say I'm going to pray about it to me one more time. <laughs> And That's you know, cultural. I, yeah, it real. is. It's yeah, very it cultural. Is. And so we have that bur- that that hurdle we have to jump is that uh, this is not something we want to talk about in our community. The other piece is this whole idea of one day, you know, this this is going to happen. And so another thing, a thing that really came up, not surprising, but came up is that the women talked about they're putting their lives on hold. So will mm-hmm. I get married? Will I have children? Because I've made these decisions. And again, these are real mm-hmm. Dilemmas. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Stacy, this conversation is going so well that I think that we need to keep you on for another episode. I think so, too. <laughs> Sounds good. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla's at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I'm at Jeremy Waysom. Until next time, drink some water, eat some vegetables, and be extra like guacamole because guacamole adds quality and isn't just extra for no reason. <laughs> <laughs>